Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. And we are both tired. I guess. I know we are. I'm not that tired. I'm a, I'm a wreck. You're always tired. I'm a wreck. You're always tired. I did nothing but run this weekend. You know that for a fact. I was doing yard work. I was running around getting stuff done. It's like I had to play catch up for some reason. I don't know what the deal was. Um, but it is the weekend. We usually tape on Monday nights. Uh, and this is Sunday night. We tape this one. Uh, you're hearing it probably later in the week. And none of you probably care about any of this at all. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying, man. But yeah, we uh, we were. I'm just feeling a little crusty right now. And I still have to mix all this stuff down the night. Oh, my goodness. But, hey, you know what? All that is going to end soon because we're going to Alton, Illinois pretty soon, Amber. Really? We're going to get in the boogie and go on down to Alton, Illinois. Yeah, the Haunted America Conference. Are we going to do a different disturbing promotion for the Haunted America Conference every time? I, I don't know. Well, the last one we did was... Try. Oh, was it that one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, none of this stuff is planned. I know. I just... I don't know. I just saw the thing on the piece of paper here. I know, and said, you went in a rodeo mode. Go down there. <laughs> it's like, I don't. I... <laughs> is, that another, is that another accent I can't do, that You Amber? can't do accents. You can. You might start out doing an accent, but you cannot maintain an accent. Like, you'll just be like, so come on down to uh, Troy Taylor's, and then you'll be, uh, and it will go just somewhere else. Or it will go British, but then it's not really British. It's just weird. It's your own version of British. Or Australian. Hi, <laughs> mate. That's, no, that doesn't even sound Australian. Hello, mate. You got to make it sound more normal. You're like, you overexert your, your accents. Maybe you should take a, like an accent class somewhere. What's the term for that? Because you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing right now. You're appropriating Australian accents yeah you're not australian so therefore you cannot speak with an australian accent so you're yeah you're, you're in big trouble you're in big trouble right now okay I'm tell- i am i'm telling I am, you i'm in trouble yeah you're the one I, I shouldn't be in trouble because i'm correcting you your bad su- accent well, no, so rule- you can properly appropriate their culture i think the rule is you have to successfully appropriate their accent i can't successfully appropriate their accent because apparently i'm crappy oh at so you can just run around doing whatever you want then and but because you do it bad it doesn't matter i get away with it but you don't oh because you do it well oh okay well so, i can't do jail. i can't do scottish or irish that well uh, anyway the yeah haunted america conference june 21st and 22nd we're going to be there looking forward to that and you know what i'm going to point this out this is not even a paid advertisement we just doing this because we love troy and we're looking forward to hanging out with troy and all of our buddies well, down in Alton, and Illinois. we've had a few guests on the show that are going to be speaking there or doing things yeah. there and so our guest tonight is bob barb heiser yeah barb heiser and she's, she's one of them she's going to be doing a workshop uh I, I don't know if troy always did workshops back in the day but this is something that he's added more of in the after hours events where you can participate and do these different uh, things with people like Rosemary Ellen Guiley, yeah, people like Barb Heiser, yeah. Um, now, um, Barb, you know, and yeah, Barb's one of those one of them I, I saw on the list. I'm like, well, we've never talked to her. I'd like to talk to her. She seems really interesting. And we had her on. Obviously, you're going to listen to her in a couple minutes. Uh, but her claim to fame too, well, not claim to fame, but we think it's really awesome. Is she has been to every conference Troy has put on. Yeah, she's not missed one of them. And she's I, re- I, I specifically year. remember it was I think at the either the twentieth. It was either it was one or two years ago. Yeah, and he was like he made her stand up and pointed that fact out. Like so and I remember every her. year, every yeah. year. So we had Barb Heiser on the show 
uh, earlier. You're going to hear this in a couple minutes. Tell me about Barb. Well, she's, Tell me investi- all about her. she's investigated the paranormal since 1979. Actually, before that. Well, she was in college in 1977, which she mentions in the show. Yeah. And um, she's been doing paranormal stuff way before the yeah. majority of us. Using science sensitives and a therapeutic approach, Heiser and her team have helped ghosts to move onto the other side. This is a, it's a trip we, we talked about. Yeah. Too. yeah. In her book, Small Town Ghosts, the reader will learn about the Native Americans haunting a rural cemetery, a ghost who regularly tucked the lady of the house into bed. I want that. And participate in a birthday party for the ghost of a little girl who died in the 1960s. Heiser offers theories of why hauntings occur, the science of investigating them, and creative new approaches to resolving hauntings. And I like this concept that she uses of uh, paranormal social work. Well, paranormal And the responsibility of a... Paranormal investigator and what it entails. We covered that a discussion. lot, and yeah. I think that was that was. It's important to talk about that stuff, and yeah, we talked about that a Good lot. Good ethics. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that a lot with Barb Heiser tonight. Enjoy. Barb Heiser, thank you so much, first off, for taking the time to join us here on the show. Um, thank you. I know that we're all busy, so we appreciate your time here coming here to chat with us. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. There's few things I enjoy more than talking about the paranormal. Yeah, we tend to have a good time with that, too, right, Amber? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of that, first off, uh, one of the things, you know, we're going to actually get to meet person the person here in a couple weeks and i'm really excited about that because you're one of the speakers this year at the haunted america conference is that correct well i'm going to be doing one of the workshops okay all right yeah so you're doing yeah. one of the workshops so yeah we're definitely gonna you're definitely gonna be in te- be in attendance um so. i will be in attendance for the whole thing yeah i have gone to every single one of those conferences since the very first one so oh, wow. i'm the only person who's made it to all of them really Okay, Troy. I, did Troy acknowledge that maybe a year or two ago and had you... In, oh, in, yeah. Okay, I remember you. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't think we ever... We may have crossed paths. Who knows? I don't know if we, if well, we were... Go ahead. I believe we have. When I saw your your picture, it's like, oh, yeah, I know him. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and so it, it had to be from the conference. So yeah, yeah. I figured that's where I'd met you. Yeah, okay. I have the memory of a goldfish nowadays, so I remember very little, it seems. So I'm, I'm, hope, I'm sure when I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, which I've, we've seen your picture, too. So yeah, it's, just, it's hard to remember anything anymore, it seems like. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, that's like as far as, like, the paranormal stuff we do and the little bit of traveling we do for this show we do now, it's, that is the highlight for us, I think, every year is the, the Haunted America Conference. Um, and, you know, we've been going back pretty regular the last, you know, this will be our fourth year going back in a row now since the uh-huh. old days. And you know, every year it just gets better and better, you know, as we meet more and more people again, get reacquainted and stuff like that. And um, 
yeah, every year just because it's just more and more fun and we get to have more conversations. And you know how those things are. You've been to a couple of them yourself, it sounds like, so you know what we're talking about. It's one of the rare places where it's all weird all the time and you fit right in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's a conference. We say this like, you know, our friend John Tenney says that. You know, it's a conference. Most of those things are conferences for weirdos. You know, excellent, uh-huh. cool weirdos. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, on the conference thing, and, you know, it was funny. Uh, I was, we were at a, com- well, a Motor City Comic Con a couple weeks ago here in Detroit. Uh, they had the Motor City Comic Con. And I know one of the, the big things for conferences, and there's always people that come out to them every year that I meet, and they say, man, I was so scared about, you know, the stuff that I'm into. I was scared about this. But then I found out that there was a whole conference for it. So, and there's all these people that come to this conference and it kind of made me feel better and made me not feel so out of place and weird about things. And to me, that's kind of a crazy thing, even in this day and age, that people would feel that way, but people still do. And I yeah. I even got that at, com- at the Comic-Con thing, you know, which we, we kind of fit in, but we kind of don't. And it was fun to hang out with those, those folks. But I talked to a lot of people, uh, you know, even, you know, like just like, you know, comic enthusiasts, movie enthusiasts, whatever they may be. And they felt the same, like, man, you know, yeah, my daily life. I don't have anybody to really talk to about this. So I like to come to this thing and hang out with people, which is the same idea applied. So, yeah, yeah um, I think that's one of the good things about uh, Troy's conference and any conference, you know, as far as the paranormal stuff in general. Uh, it is a place for people who may not know what to do if, it's, if there's something they want to get involved with or start studying this stuff or start doing research. It's a really good way for people to get together and, you know, do the networking thing, I guess. Uh, that's the biggest, I think that's one of the greatest tools Troy's Conference is. And because it's been going on consistently and for so long. Yeah. The, uh, the, the opportunity to network with other investigators, to swap stories, to learn about new investigation techniques, yeah. you know, to find out how they interpret evidence, you know, it's invaluable. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, yeah, internet is wonderful for what it is. Yeah, but there's nothing like a face-to-face conversation. Yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of that. Also, do you think? I mean, just to roll things out here, Barb. Do you sure. think groups like investigation groups, clubs, whatever you want to call them, people that are do, out there doing research? I um, mean, you know, because to me, I think there's a, there's there's certain classes of clubs. The more, or I shouldn't call them clubs, but groups, right? Um, yeah. And and I, you know, it's not to shed any any negative light on anybody but i think you know i never really sat down and thought this thing through like you know here are the classifications of this and that but really i think there are a couple uh one i think there are more the enthusiast type clubs with people who are just interested in this stuff and they want to explore the hobby uh, and i use hobby explicitly for that right and i do think there's other groups that maybe a bit more seasoned who have spent more time or maybe they even come into this with a more serious approach where they you know i don't want to call it a business but i think um some of the groups, I just think they're a bit more serious about what they're doing than some other groups. Do you? So my question is, do you think the groups are spending, I guess the more serious groups, um, do you think they're, they're networking more? Do you think they're exchanging ideas more uh, nowadays? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. I tend to divide it into two different kinds of groups. Okay. There's the thrill seekers who are going out looking for that experience that gives them the thrill down the back of their spine. 
that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, and um, that's perfectly fine to do that. You know, but the only thing I ask is don't go into somebody's house if you're a thrill seeker. Go to the commercial places. You can go to Waverly Hills. You, you can go anywhere with Trans-Allegheny in its name, and you can find <laughs> places. Yeah. Yeah, you can find places where you can go and do that and have that experience. The serious investigators, you know, like my team, I've been doing this since 1977. I was wow. a graduate student in the psychology program at Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville. There were a number of us who had an interest in the paranormal. So we went out and investigated in as serious a way as you could in 1977. Mm -hmm. That predates equipment other than tape recorders, you know, yeah. um, cameras. Mm -hmm. You know, that was it. That was all you had. Yeah. The, the concept of an electromagnetic field detector, you know, that, that was years away. We didn't encounter any of that stuff until well into the 80s. Mm -hmm. you know, but um, if you're a serious investigator, you have to go in and combine both science and intuition and investigation, and, and you, ha you have to follow investigation protocols yeah. you know, so, so that you're doing it in a serious way. And most importantly, you have to go in respecting the situation and the family that's dealing with it. Yeah. The last thing they need is for you to come in, stimulate the paranormal activity, and they say, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, for our evidence. It's been a great experience. You got ghosts. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this yeah. is one of the things, I mean, and I, you, I think you, that's a really, a, you know, I was saying there may be these different types of groups, and you really hit the nail on the head for me, I think, with this, because... That does sum it up because I think you do have, and, and again, I'm not saying this in any negative light whatsoever. You do have the thrill seekers, uh, which you know, welcome. You're welcome. Come on, get get involved. That's cool. But I think they are fueled by more of this idea of, dare I say it, what they've seen maybe on a TV show or something like that, and they do want to experience a thrill of what this thing may be. Uh, yeah. And you're right. I think people like that, you know, hey, go to a public, one of these public type things that you can pay for and, and go there and do some research. And that's super cool. I've done it. We, we've done it a, a lot of places like that. It's fantastic. Um, but I think the house thing, this is where, yeah, it does separate the two. One of the things I've been saying for years and years and years now is it's a serious responsibility, I think, to go into someone's home right to to do this stuff one ex you know it's, ex it's a whole different thing yeah a whole different thing you you have to respect the people and their situation if you've been called in to investigate someone's house usually it's because they're afraid of something yeah something is there that is scaring the kids or yeah. whatever and they have no idea what to do about it mm -hmm. you know so to come in and to help them is a whole different thing. And it, it takes a different level of commitment because it means that you're going to come back and you're going to come back and you're going to come back. Yeah. You can be coming back for years mm -hmm. to try and help them resolve the situation that they're dealing with. So I don't think we call, we call it paranormal social work. 
Yeah, and I don't think I don't think most groups or investigators have a long term thought about this stuff. I think they their idea is to go somewhere once, make a determination, and leave. Uh, and I mean, the example I always use is I've back when we used to go to houses and, and do things, and we we're you know this was many many years ago, and I was way less seasoned than I am now. Um, but the thing I would always say to people, though, and I, I really want to hear what your opinion is on this. When I would go uh, to meet with people at a home, I'd always say the same thing. I'd say, okay, look, we're going to take pictures. We're going to take video. We're going to record audio. You have in your mind the suspicion that you may have something in your home. I can't, from my own, my own uh, devices, tell you for sure if you have something in your home, but I can collect as much evidence as I can. And my question to them is always, can you handle that? You know, and it, and I would always say, you know, give yourself, let's give it a week. I want you to think this thing through real serious because, I mean, I know, I know by doing what I'm going to do and what my friends and I would do, we were going to give them some type of validation whether we thought it was something or not, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And I consider that something pretty serious, and we and I had people call back after a couple of days and say, you know what, I thought about what you said, and I'm okay with just this thought. Maybe there's something in my house. Not having somebody verify. I don't want to be responsible. I've said this so many times now. I don't want to be responsible for somebody running out of their house at three o'clock in the morning, screaming like a maniac because you know I've I've put this kernel in their mind that they have a, a entity running around their house, right? I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to front load them. That I mean. Are, and that, for me, I didn't even have this long-term thing that you're talking about, Barb. I mean, mm-hmm. again, mine were, you know, we go there a couple times and say, well, yeah, here's some pictures. Maybe we got something weird here. Thankfully, we didn't have anybody freak out, <laughs> right? And that wasn't, yeah. our, but that was not nearly our intention. And we weren't also there to be dramatic either. We were just there to get the facts if we could, right? So, I mean, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, I'm kind of in the ballpark with you, I think, but I think yours is more of a long-term idea, though, with the, with with your approach. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. What you did was reasonable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were honest about what you were doing. You were respectful of the owner and their situation, and you let them make a choice. Yeah. I suspect that you didn't have tools to go in and help the ghost make a choice to move on. You know, yeah. very few teams do. Very few teams have, have studied that, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing the workshop down at the conference, mm-hmm. is so that I can teach them things that we have learned how to do to work with families to help them establish rapport with the ghost so that they can gain trust. And then ultimately we work out, now how do we deal with this particular human personality? Okay, They may not have a body anymore, but they were human, and so they carry a human personality. How do we help them make a choice to move on? Because staying was a poor choice at the time. The person may have stayed on at the house when they discovered they were out of their body, you know, thinking that, well, I wasn't such a great person in life. I can stay here or I can go to the pearly gates and get tossed into the fiery pits of hell. I think I'll stay here. Or you can have a ghost who doesn't know he's dead. Or you can have a ghost who knows damn well that he's dead, but he's not leaving because this is his place. You know, so there can be a lot of different reasons 
they're human beings. Everybody, every human being has different reasons for their behavior. Yeah. And so what we try to do with the family is work with them so that we can all figure this out and then set up a situation where we can get the ghost to make a different choice mm-hmm. and to cross over, to move on, and end the paranormal activity and the haunting. This is what you call paranormal social work, too, as you said. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. So, Barb, what have you found to be really helpful with trying to get an entity uh, to move on? First of all, when I get a call, um, typically it is, it, it, it's a family where they've got activity going on, usually object movement, maybe they've seen something, things of that sort. With my team, I go out and I do a, a screening first to see what's going on. Now, if I discover when I drive up to the house that it appears to be a crack house, I'm going to take a pass on this. (laughs) um, One time, went for the screen, and the house, it was a hoarder's house. And it was like, I I am not a sensitive. We have a person on our, our team who truly is. Her name is Amy Myers. She's out of Quincy. She is one of those people who can walk into a place and say, yeah, there's two different people here, and this is what I think is going on. The most I ever get is a feeling of, yeah, there's something going on here, or no, I don't think there is. I went into that house, and I felt immediately like there was something going on. But with the situation of a hoarder and obviously cockroaches in the house and all of that, I was not willing to investigate it. Yeah. I wasn't willing, so I didn't find any evidence, and I went home, and that was it. You yeah. know, I, I, I could not handle that. You know, but most of the time, what we're dealing with is a situation where we can help. Um, rarely does one visit work. I think I have only had one occasion where one visit cleared the house, and that was uh, in a farmhouse outside of Galesburg, Illinois, mm-hmm where it was a young couple, newly married, who had just bought this place. Um, the house had been flipped. Someone had come in and, you know, really remodeled, made it nice, and these folks bought it. And as soon as they moved in, the paranormal activity started. They had stacks of plates that would move from the kitchen cabinet onto the counter overnight. Oh, wow. Ah, um, ah, okay. And, and things like that. I mean, it was a very active haunting. What really convinced them that there was paranormal activity going on was the husband got sick and tired of the bedroom door opening and closing on its own. So he took, he was a construction worker. He took his heavy construction worker boots and used it to prop the door open. Okay. okay? In the morning, they woke up, the boots, the door was closed, and the boots were halfway down the hall. Hmm. <laughs> that was when they were convinced. So I got a call to come in, and they had kind of figured out who might be haunting the house. Turns out that during the 1950s, the owner of the house, farmer of course, had a tractor accident and was killed. And they just thought it was him. 
And so as I was going through the house doing the usual, you know, EMF detector and photographs and stuff like that, I just had a feeling that we were being followed. Yeah. And so I said, I just said out loud, I think you're here right now. Do you know that you died? That there was a tractor accident and, and you were killed in the accident? And that's why nobody's talking to you anymore. That's why you're not seeing your family. You don't have to stay here. You could, all you have to do is want to go join your family, and they're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Paranormal activity stopped after that night. I oh, brought wow. the whole team in to do a full-fledged investigation, and it appeared that we cleared everything out in the one evening. But that's the only time that's ever worked. And that was just okay. straight up talking. Just that's it. There's no yeah. smudging, nothing, just talking. Yeah, yep. just flat out talking, explaining what I thought the situation was, and just assuring him, you know, this is why you think nobody's talking to you anymore. You, know, you don't have to stay here. Your family, your parents, your wife, you know, they're all waiting for you to come join them. All you have to do is want yeah. to go, and you can go. You know, I'm sure that most situations, it these these spirits, these people, these consciousness, these personalities, they should cross they should cross over. But I'm wondering. Yes. I mean, I'm wondering if you've ever come across uh, a family or a, a household where. Maybe the family said, you know, no, and I mean, this may not make much sense, but I've heard people say like, well, I know this place is haunted, but I'm not really worried about it. They don't, they don't bother me that much. Every once in a while, something moves and I, I just kind of think it's cute and that's or fine. Or I don't want him to leave. Yeah. I don't want him to leave. Or yeah. Some, I mean, yeah. anything along those yeah. lines. Have you come across people like that with that attitude? The best one of that was a house in Galesburg located in an area near Knox College, which, if you, if you were familiar with Galesburg, Knox College is a very nice liberal arts college, and it's kind of in a bad neighborhood. Okay. You know, the, it, was, it was built in the 1800s, but what's grown up around it in Galesburg is not the nicest neighborhood. Anyway, um, during the, the 1940s, this particular house, this big house with lots of bedrooms had been a boarding house, and students resided there. Well, this family, a good Catholic family with like 10 kids under the age of 10, bought this house in the 1960s okay. because it had a lot of bedrooms. And so they moved into the house, and paranormal activities started right off the bat. They had object movements. Apparently, one of his favorite tricks was to it, say you were sitting in the living room and you had a glass of soda pop with ice sitting next to you and you're watching TV and all of a sudden you reach over for your pop and it's gone. Mm-hmm. It would disappear. Hours later, it would return with ice still in it. Oh, that's nice. Ah. That's a nice, but that's, that's I, want, I want a ghost to do that. <laughs> Re-chill I my so drink. wanted to, <laughs> to, you know, really connect with this ghost so that we could f- tell us how you do this, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Well, anyway, turns out 
that the activity that was having, happening in the house, the family um, started asking in the neighborhood about, you know, did anything happen here that might have caused all this weird stuff that's, that's going on? Because all the kids, the kids experienced it first. Yeah. Um, so what they found out was that during the 1940s, the family, or excuse me, one of the college students that had rented a room in the house, he was flunking one of his classes. He apparently was a chemistry major, and he was flunking one of his chemistry classes. Okay. And so he committed suicide. Oh. Potassium cyanide. Oh. He got it out of the lab, brought it back to the house, and committed suicide in the house. Mm. Well, <clears throat> apparently he's the one who was haunting the house, and this family adopted him. They absolutely adopted him. They found out his entire history. They had his death certificate. They found photographs of him, photographs of the school that he attended, the church he attended, the house he had lived in. You know, and this was in the 70s by this time that they were doing this. And so they found out all of his history, and they sort of adopted him into the family. And um, they felt that he was kind of the protector of their house. Because when I was investigating this house, it's got to be about 10 years ago, maybe 15. Um, not being such a great neighborhood, there were lots of burglaries. Mm -hmm. And their house was the only one that had never been burglarized. <laughs> and they attributed it to him, you know, that he was somehow their protector. So anyway, as, as I'm in this house, I had a feeling as we were going from room to room to room that he was always ahead of me. You know, if I was on this side of the wall, he was on the other side of the wall, that he was avoiding me. And um, so it was time to bring in Amy Myers to see if she could connect with this guy. And so we came in. And she did, immediately. She, he flirted with her. Oh, really? You know, he all, he, he wanted, he, she has long hair, and he always, he always wanted a girl who could drive a car, too. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> we used a natural, tri, um, natural tri-field meter, the one that screens out household current. Yeah, yeah. It, it has a gauge on it. And I use that a lot. You know, they have the flashlight test. I don't like the flashlight test. I like the tri-field meter test okay. because it's a gauge. And if they poke at it, it'll move. Plus, the tri-field meter screens out anything that operates at 60, 60 hertz, okay. 60 yeah. megahertz. Yeah, it, so household current is screened out. Okay. And so you can get yes or no answers. And so we sat at the table. The family was talking about the things they had experienced with him, including him being a peeping Tom with the girls uh -oh. in the shower. Oh. Oh. And, yeah. And he was 
answering questions by making the gauge on the tri-field meter move. The tri-field meter is wonderful for this. You can take ghosts from the 1800s who know what a gauge is. They know from even from the 1800s. And uh, out in this area, we don't go back any further than that. So, you know, it's, it's something that they can understand. And if you've ever worked with a tri-field meter, mm-hmm. it's extremely sensitive. You moving your own hand over it, your electromagnetic field will set it off. And so we were getting nice yes and no answers and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The family, at one time during the 1970s, made a field trip to where he used to live. They visited his grave. They went by his house. They went to his church. They made a whole weekend of visiting where this guy had been in life. And so he very much, according to Amy Myers, felt very much a part of the family, that he was happier as a ghost with this family than he had ever been when he was alive. And so he had no intention of leaving. With his flirting with Amy, it put off the family. They were kind of afraid that he might try to leave with her, and so they wouldn't let us come back. Oh, (laughs) I wanted to do a long-term investigation there because this is obviously a ghost who knows he's a ghost. Yeah. And he knows how to do things. And if, if he can explain to us somehow how he's doing things, you know, this could be one of the most amazing investigations in the history of investigating. Yeah. Yeah. But they were afraid that he would leave, and so they wouldn't let us come back. I do believe that Troy Taylor investigated that same house, you know, really? probably about five, six years before we ever did. Wow. Huh. So yeah. This, I mean, and this is, you, you brought up some interesting things here, too. Well, one thing that I pulled out was ghosts obviously ghosts from a certain era or spirits entities whatever you want to call them um they understand gadgets they understand devices however that made me think what if you're dealing with something or someone who's from an era that didn't have devices and they don't understand devices like that they would they wouldn't be able to respond obviously the same way they wouldn't know what to do with a tri-field meter, for example. Well, um, maybe yeah. they would if they had the gauge. Well, I guess if they didn't even know what a gauge was. They don't know what a gauge is. How are they supposed to? Yeah. What, what is that thing? Uh, yeah. 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 So, so some of these tools are applicable to a, a period in time where the ghost would have experienced something in life that would help them understand how it works. You know, um, fortunately or unfortunately for us, our ghosts don't go back all that far. We're not dealing with medieval monks. Yeah, yeah. Because well, they've moved on. They've moved on. Well, right? we're not in England. Yeah. When we look at American history, our history doesn't go as far back with kind of how we've settled. I mean, obviously, Native Americans are there. Um, yeah. You know, and who knows? Well, but, but my thing, okay, you know, location aside, I mean, my idea would be, okay, maybe you got a few stragglers like this young man. Who don't? Who yeah. knows what his deal is? And he he's happier where he's at, so he'll just stay in that state of limbo. Uh, yeah. But it seems like uh, you could 
come across ones that are older than that here in America, right? Yeah. I, I know our history yeah. only goes back a couple hundred years, but yeah, maybe an American Indian, maybe something mm-hmm. like that. I, I don't. I mean, it's. I guess it's very. It'd be very difficult to, I guess, determine that. I'm sure. But well, it's, go ahead. Actually, there's ways where you can, but again, long term, it takes long term following these things in order to figure that stuff out. We had a cemetery that we were investigating. In fact, it was probably the very first cemetery that I investigated out here called Sugar Tree Grove. And it is a cemetery left over from when there used to be a church, small rural, you know, cemetery for a small rural church Mm -hmm. from the 1800s. You know, though the cemetery was still active with current burials, it was always very small. Um, but there, there was paranormal activity out there that we could document, but it was intermittent. It was intermittent. I've done such things as follow moon phase and the effect of paranormal activity in, in particular cemeteries, and I have found that there are some cemeteries, most cemeteries really don't have paranormal activity. And if they've got a ghost haunting there, it's usually a caretaker or a minister. Okay? Mm-hmm. But we do encounter some places where we think it's because the fabric between this side and the next is a little bit thin. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a crossover point. So if Aunt Marge actually died in Cleveland, but she wants to visit you in a place that she has never been, say, in St. Louis, yeah. she's going to come through a crossover point in St. Louis. She's not going to hoof it all the way from Cleveland. <laughs> you know? So we think that there are a lot of cemeteries that are like this, that back when a lot of rural cemeteries, this area that I live in, most of them were, the, the pioneer cemeteries were founded in the 1830s. You know, that was when the European settlers were coming across, you know, and settling in, in Illinois, um, a few over the Mississippi River yeah. into, into Iowa, but it was the Europeans coming over, or the folks from the eastern states, who were third sons, you know, where the, the family farm isn't going to get split enough for them to live. And so they were moving west. Well, during the 1830s is when the federal government declared that all Native tribes had to move across the Mississippi River, that in perpetuity they could have everything west, of the Mississippi, and we saw how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they had to leave all of the states on the east of the Mississippi River so, so that the white folks could take it over. And so in this area, there were skirmishes between the Native American tribes, which were out in this area was the Sauk tribe, and um, the settlers. And it culminated in a scalping. The guy who did it, his name was David Martin, the guy who got scalped, he was drunk at the time, he provoked the Native American, and he got scalped. So after that, the military came in and decided they were going to force the socks across the river. 
just north of where this cemetery was located had been a sock village. And that was a site of one of the skirmishes where there were lots of deaths, including women and children. At that point, you know, there were all kinds of problems, you know, with the, with the Native, Native Americans, but yeah. they pushed the socks across the river. The ones who, who fought, you know, they, they ended up dead. And so this cemetery, we believe, was located in the territory of that village. The village was not right there, but there were Indian trails that went right through where this cemetery had been. And you oh. could really see them on a night when there was a full moon. Okay. Especially in the summer, you would get an absolute path of light that would show you exactly where the Indian trail had gone. Okay. And so it took us a while to figure out that that's what was going on. We had a cemetery where there was paranormal activity intermittently, most nights you went out there, it was peaceful and calm and just a lovely place. And there were other nights when it's like the hostility you felt pretty much drove you out of, out of the area. Yeah. You know, you packed up your gear and you left. And so one of the local historians told me about what had happened north of this cemetery. And it's like, I wonder if this is what we're experiencing so I got some music, Native American chants, and my boombox, and we went out there, and I turned it on, played these chants. Mm -hmm. It started out all peaceful and quiet and nice, and within 10 minutes, the whole atmosphere within, within the place changed, and it felt hostile and angry, and it's like, oh, man, I think we've got it here. And we left, we mm. packed up our stuff and left because we had just pissed off some people in a pretty <laughs> yeah. big way. Yeah. You know, but um, it's like, okay, now this is making sense. No wonder they're angry with us. You mm. know, we're, in my group, we're like middle-aged white folks, yeah. you know, at the time. Yeah. You know, now technically I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> but we were out there doing stuff in what was their territory territory, yeah. they had been killed by people who looked like us, and no wonder they were angry. No wonder. It made perfect sense. Yeah. This was a place where we went back intermittently because we wanted to see if we could establish some sort of rapport, some sort of trust to help them cross over that they didn't need to be here reliving what, they, what had happened to them, if we could help them. So that meant I had to consult with people who knew about the Sauk tribe. Yeah. What did they value? What was their culture? And so we got advice on what to do. There was one Native American who was, who was buried in the cemetery, and apparently this was, this was from many years later. Um, he died of... of um, smallpox or something, but he was, he was buried in a corner of the cemetery, and I guess during the 60s, the, one of the ministers had gotten a stone for that spot that said, you know, he too was a son of Abraham. You know, 
So, mm. but they had him in a corner by himself, yeah. away from away from the white women. <laughs> That's how they were. Yep. So we were advised: bring gifts, bring gifts of apples, bring tobacco. You know, bring gifts, show respect. And so we did. This took probably about five years worth of work before we finally got the sense that when we played the music, they would come, but they weren't angry anymore, that we were okay. You know, we weren't there doing harm. You know, we were being respectful to them. And so we did a crossover ceremony. You know, we had gotten advice on what to do, Are you familiar with the concept of energy circles? Yeah. That's where you get a group together and you hold hands, you send the energy out of your left hand into the right hand of the person who is next to you. And you just build this. You send, you mentally send the energy around. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a hypnotist. I am a trained and certified hypnotist, which mostly I do for fun and to help friends who want to lose weight, that kind of thing. (laughs) And so I'm accustomed to talking to people in a very guided meditation kind of way. Yeah. And so doing that, we build the energy. We build the energy in the circle until we feel it, that it is like a tornado whirling around in the circle. And then when I give the verbal signal, we send it up. Okay. Now, sometimes we send that energy off to protect a house that has a problem. Sometimes we send it to, to help somebody heal from something. This time, we sent it up like a spotlight, an energy spotlight to attract in all of these entities who had been roaming around this area for more than 100 years. And to open the doorway so that if they wanted to cross over, they could. Now, Amy Myers, who is our sensitive, she said that she had the impression that there was the spirit of a shaman present who was supporting us in what we did, and that he was the one who opened the door so that they could leave. Okay. And after that, you know, after that night, I would go back occasionally, play the music to see if anybody showed up. Nobody showed up. Paranormal activity, as near as we have been able to determine. I mean, nobody lives at the cemetery, so you can't say for sure. Mm -hmm. But when we've been there, there is no indication that there is anybody left who roams through that cemetery, even when we play the music. So, Yeah. You said there was a shaman in this group, correct? No, there was not a shaman in our group. We had gotten gotten advice from a shaman on what we should do. But the shaman that Amy sensed was in spirit. Yeah. I'm wondering why he was still there. I mean, why? He came over to help. Oh, so he, he came over to help. Okay. You know, one of the things that we do when we are trying to help a family, you know, that's got a ghost, help them cross over, 
when we reach a point where we think this will work, we ask the other side to send over someone that this person trusted in life. Might be a husband, might be a sister, someone they trusted, someone they believed in, and that that person could tell them what is waiting for them, that the rest of the family is is waiting for them to come home. Yeah. And this is a very therapeutic approach. It requires trust, and um, it works. It's amazingly effective if you can get to the point where the ghost will, will, will do that. Yeah. They will listen. That happened, again, in Galesburg, which appears to be a very haunted town, where we had the ghost of a woman who was haunting a house, and um, it appeared that, from, it, from what Amy was telling us, the reason she haunted was she believed that when she died, she had not lived up to the expectations of her faith and that she was going to go to hell. And so when she found herself out of her body, she rejected the light and she stayed in the house. And she was dormant for a very long time until the family started doing some major remodeling and that stirred everything up. But by that time, we'd had enough visits to the house where, and plus with Amy's, skills at communicating with the dead, that made all the difference. We were able to talk to her about the concept of forgiveness of sin, that we would pray for her, and we asked the other side, please send over somebody that she trusted. Well, Amy said, her sister's here, and you should hear these two. Amy said, the sister is talking to her older sister about we have been waiting for you. You need to come with me right now and quit this. That wow. was another case. Yeah. She agreed to cross over, and paranormal activity stopped that night. Now, there was never anything yeah. after that. And what you're saying, you're, you're saying this is a therapeutic approach. And it is. what that got me thinking about, too, is, I mean, whether, well, we already... We, you've been calling the spirits, you know, personalities, right? Yeah. Uh, as we know, personality, you know, and I'm no psych major, but personality is obviously attached to your mind, your yeah. mentality, your personality, right? Yeah. Uh, and obviously your personality can be, it can be negatively or positively affected by certain situations, you know, yeah. that, that mentally affect you, right? And one thing yeah. I was thinking about here, too, was in these situations I mean, yeah, whether you're, you know, a physical body or, or a spiritual body, energy, right? Yeah. Um, you st- it seems to me that you still have this personality and, this, and you still have this mentality that can be damaged. And now, yeah. as, as a spirit, and, and I'm wondering if that's part of this approach you guys have here is because I'm wondering if someone can, can be, can they, they can be shell-shocked possibly from something like this. Oh, or, Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. A trauma ghost, a ghost who is a result of some sort of trauma, whether it was a violent death, you know, um, battlefields are full of them. Mm-hmm. A battlefield yeah, is yeah. full of trauma ghosts. You know, a murder victim, you know, trauma ghost, car accident, trauma ghost. You know, I do believe that the vast majority of people, no matter what circumstances are of their death, they cross over just the way they should. 
family gathers round, grabs them by the hand, and they cross over together. And I think okay. I think most people know where they're at too. I mean, they may know where they're yeah. at. They accept their their situation and say, "Okay, well, this is the next step." You know, whether it's yeah. whether it's sudden, whether it's unexpected, whether it's something that you know, okay, I'm surrounded by my loved ones here. It's time for me to go. All that good stuff. I, I, I agree. I think most people know what their situation is with their existence. You know, yeah. there is that aspect. Uh, what I was asking about with you know with this shell shock type thing going into. Uh, this other plane of existence and being stuck possibly. But there's also the idea too uh, that you guys work on also. It's a project you guys are working on from what you explained to me uh, that you're, you're trying to document cases or collect information uh, where paranormal investigating has impacted the investigators health themselves. Now this is a very much a live person, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, go ahead. Well, what we're doing with this is I kind of stumbled into this one. Um, my team, we generally deal with house ghosts. You know, um, we don't, we're not the Waverly Hills or the Alcatraz or the let's go hang out at Bartonville, you know, and look for the angry ghosts and shadow people and whatever else may be there. Yeah. We want to help families who have a problem. Yeah. But occasionally we do run into a situation where it appears that there is a negative entity involved. You know, and, of course, defining what negative en- entities are is, is very difficult, and there's no agreement in the field as to what exactly shadow people might be or demons are. You know, there's yeah. lots of possibilities and all of it's speculation. Uh, but we did run into, into that in a house in Monmouth. Um, first time I went into the house, the, uh, there were two of us who were present, Brian and myself, and we had done a walkthrough of, of the first floor, went back, back into, went from the kitchen into the dining room, and we were setting up equipment there. And we were alone in the house at the time. Brian went back into the kitchen and called me, and there were cans of dog food that had been stacked like five feet high in the middle of the kitchen floor. And we had just been back there a few minutes ago, and we didn't hear a thing. It appeared that this entity was a pretty potent entity um it appeared that he had killed the family dog oh yeah in a in a brutal way he's a dicker off the bat basically <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah when when i found out about what was going on at this house i, I called a friend of mine who's a local cop yeah. and i asked him this guy i gave him the name of the guy who was living in the house is he a local nutcase or you know is there something that I should know about, and he assured me that there wasn't, you know, that he, he wasn't a local character or, you know, not to his awareness involved in anything nasty. So we went out to the house, and, and we determined that there was something very negative there. When Amy Myers came out, she, we were in total agreement that this thing was really wicked, had probably attached itself to the guy who was living in the house 
with his four children, all under the age of five, and he had custody, you know, and so he was dealing with a situation where another investigator had come in, Uh stirred things up. Yeah. Yeah. The the night that that my friend investigator, who's no longer my friend, um, the night he got out of that investigation was the night that they were there the kids were there, and why the hell they did this when kids were present is beyond me. Yeah. But the daughter, who was like two years old, they were down. They were downstairs listening through baby through a baby monitor, and they could hear what sounded like water running, and then a thump. And so the father went running upstairs to see what was going on the water had been turned on in the bathtub and the little girl, two years old, was all wrapped up and tangled in her blankets from her bed and had been thrown across the room. Oh, my God. We think what this entity intended was to get the kid into the water. Yeah. So this guy's just a dick all around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. any nice way to say it. Sorry. Yeah, there's a lot more that happened with this. But we believe that the attachment to the father happened at a bar when he was drinking. He had an alcohol problem. Uh-oh. And so something negative was hanging out at that bar waiting for the right guy, and it attached himself, came home, started doing stuff. The guy brought in this other investigator who provoked, who did all kinds of things you should never do, and he just was, this thing was getting stronger and stronger. We believed, based on interviewing the guy who was living there and people associated with this, that it had only been about a month since the attachment, and I believe to this day, the only reason we were able to kick that thing out of that house and away from that guy was because it was early days. If it had gone on longer, it would have been way beyond anything we could have done. So what we did was we went through the house, floor by floor, room by room, and we did a complete cleansing, a complete cleansing. Mm -hmm. We did an energy circle to kick it out, kick it out the front door, and then did the salt circle thing around the whole house. So this is not not an entity going back to the other, you know, I think the other stuff we were talking about. Would this be no. something you were trying to get to cross over? No, this was something we were trying to kick out. Just get rid of it entirely. Just get yeah, it out of the there, environment. We had no way of, we did not think that this was a human. That we believed that this was a non-human dark entity, shadow person, whatever, yeah. that had attached itself to him and was feeding off the fear that it was generating because of the attacks on the family. The family was not even living in the house at the time that I got the call to clean up the mess. I'm sort of the mess cleaner upper in this area, you know, <laughs> as it's gotten to be more popular yeah. to do investigating and thrill seekers get out there and they get into someone's house and they cause problems, and that's 
more and more often when I get a phone call. You know, that yeah. something is bad is happening and can I help? And so then we try to go in and clean up what's happened. You know, but yeah. this was one case where we did succeed with a negative entity. But the only reason we were able to do it was because it was early. Now the trauma, yeah, the the trauma aspect though too. I was thinking about this also. I mean, obviously, this situation uh, with this entity, this was very bad on the people. It was affected. I mean, oh yeah, this is the first time. Yeah, the owner's health was affected. Yeah, and that's what we're talking about: mental and physical health. He developed congestive heart failure, and young man in his thirties, he died five years later. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, um, it's, the person who went out to yeah. the house with me the first time, Brian, when he saw the cans of dog food stacked up, that was the last time he investigated. He called me two days later to tell me that he had he had developed Bell's palsy. That's the condition where half your face droops. Yeah. I have encountered that with more than one investigator. I've been collecting information, at least at an anecdotal level. We're not a big enough group to do a true scientific study, you know, where we collect enough data, where we can claim scientific significance and and all of that. But I'm collecting anecdotal information about investigators who investigate the dark stuff in particular and finding out how it affects them physically and mentally. You know, Zach Baggins, he claims that the damage happened to his eyes because of something that happened at the demon house. Yeah, yeah. I, I, saw that I don't know if that's true or not, but he's now wearing prism glasses right. because of double vision. Oh, really? You know, and I've encountered other people who have experienced autoimmune issues that they think might be related to stuff that they've done. This particularly seems to be an issue for people who, who seek out the dark stuff well, and who poke it with a stick. It seems to me anybody, especially someone who's unex, you know, inexperienced, uh, dabbling in this stuff, whether, it, whether it's you know, going after the darker entities or just regular people, you know, I think anybody, if they're not prepared enough to deal with this, right? Um, yeah. They can be, I mean, it's going to start with the mental problems, right? And I've met Usually people like it this. starts with emotional stuff. Yeah, it starts with, yeah, it's start, yeah, it's anxiety, things like that. It seems like that's where it would start, and that would obviously, like a lot of things, lead on to physical yeah. problems, Manifest too. Manifest into something. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I think this could happen when, 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 I, when, we were, when I read this, I was like, well, this could probably happen to a lot of people. Obviously, what you're talking about is, is, a more extreme case right there, for example, um, yeah. where this is a very dark, malevolent entity that really wants to do harm to you. Yeah. What I was thinking more is along the lines of just, just dealing with the unknown itself. I've al- I always say that the unknown equals death. That's something I heard a long time ago, and I think that's how most people perceive it, is that the unknown equals death. That's why it scares people, and it affects yeah. people that way. So I think people even dealing with studying this stuff or going out in the field and maybe they're thrill seekers, maybe they're not thrill seekers. Um, but I think there's a certain degree of trauma you might put on yourself 
if you're not prepared and you don't go with the right people and maybe get get a get a pep talk or something right i think you can you can get yourself in trouble just on it and i'm not saying this is something that's going to affect you like you know long term really mess you up but i think you can you can have mental problem you know be affected mentally just by going out and doing this stuff and it's on its own you have to go in with your eyes open and yeah. i think too many people don't they don't think that this this stuff can't hurt me well they're wrong they're wrong this stuff can hurt you. You know, it, it's like poking a shark with a stick. Yeah. You know, if, if you are in the wrong place and you're provoking and there's something there that you don't know about or you don't understand, you could end up in a heap of trouble. And so that is, that's the kind of information I want people to know so that if they're going to take risks, they need to know what the possible consequences are. I know we personally, I have, I don't know about Amber, but I've personally seen people get taken out of, you know, we've, we've been to some public places, let's say. Mansfield. Uh-huh. I saw it happen in Mansfield to a young lady. She yeah. freaked out. She just freaked yeah. out. And we all kind of were like, why are you freaking out? <laughs> but she freaked out, and they had to take, like three people had to carry her out of the place, literally carry her out uh-huh. off of her feet. Uh, and so I do think that there is that degree, and, you know, I... Well, we spend a lot of time getting on the TV show stuff, but I think there's a reason for that, and it's because I do think, I don't think, I think studying the paranormal and this community that, you know, that we've been, you know, a part of for almost 20 years now, uh, it's it's a very welcoming community. People are always, you know, I've, everybody I talk to is amazing. They're all super nice people, every group yeah. we've ever met. Uh, so it's a welcoming uh, community. However, I think, yeah, some people... And I know I've I've given this riot act to people a bunch of times. Like, if you're going to do this, do it for the right reasons. Don't yeah. do it because you you know you, you saw a TV show and you want to get a thrill. Because let's I mean let's be honest, Barb. I think a lot of times I know the stuff that I've done. We spent a whole lot of time on things, and yeah, sometimes it can get be kind of boring. <laughs> it can, it can, oh yeah, get, we spend a lot of time sitting in the dark waiting for something to happen and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah, right. And I think that yeah. happens a lot. And I don't think that's what people uh, realize or know when they want to get into this stuff. Uh, and I think that's part of our education we do here. And I know that's what you do also, is telling people, like, look, there is, uh, there's more to it than this. And, yeah, you do have to be careful, too. You don't want to mess yourself up mentally and then physically. Uh, I think that's a very real thing. I agree 100%. It's not nearly as glamorous as it appears to be on television. Yeah, it's yeah. It's not. It's mostly, you know, doing a lot of detail, a lot of sitting in the dark, quietly, you know, waiting for something to happen, and most of the time, nothing does happen. Now, yeah. when those moments arrive where something does happen, then you ask yourself, now, did I really just see that? Or, yeah. why is my camera not pointed in that direction? <laughs> you know, we, we've all had that experience. Yeah. Um, so it, people looking for a thrill, you know, go to the commercial places. But, you know, another it, thing, too, yeah. uh, you, you mentioned this earlier and proved my point about this. We've said this over and over again, too. You become a, a historian in a lot of senses. You, you, you've told a couple stories here tonight where you've had to dig back and find the, find the history on a person, not a place or something, but on a person. So you become yeah. a historian of some sorts, too. 
doing this stuff. And I don't know if people know that's part of it. Like you might you might even have to go to the library. It may not be on the internet. Yeah. You might have to go to a library and find something. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't you think might have ready to go to the local genealogical society yeah. to find out who actually lived in a house. Because you can go and look at you, you can go to the county and look at records there, but that will only tell you who owned it. Yeah. You, know, you have to you have to talk to people and find out who actually lived there. Yeah. You know, so I often will go to a senior center in the small towns where I investigate mostly. I'll go to the senior center. They know all the good stories. <laughs> you know, they yeah. they know who lived you know they know about the orphan nephew who lived with Jane and and Mac, uh-huh. you know, that kind of thing. Stuff that never makes it into any record. And yeah. they do know the good stories. That, that Our thoughts are identical, Barb. I want to thank you so much. I mean, and I really mean that. Um, you know, and you've done this a lot longer than we have. So it's nice to know that someone as seasoned as you, we mimic a lot of the same ideas because... You know, I know myself, I've been kind of jumping up and down for a lot of years going, no, you can't just walk into someone's house, for example, uh, and stir something up and then just leave. There's more to it than that. You have a bigger responsibility to that family. You know, let's just uh, let's just take the let's take the ghost thing or the the paranormal thing out of the equation itself. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. And just say you go into someone's house, you know, and my thing with this is I know. When I say to people, yeah, I dabble in this stuff, they immediately think I have some type of accreditation in this thing. And I'm like, uh, I don't have yeah. any I don't have any accreditation. I don't have any certification. I don't have anything. You probably know more about it than I do, to be honest with you. But still at that, people give you this, you know, give you this title. Like, well, you're an expert. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I can say it over and over again. Um, and then they're putting faith in you, Right. Uh, yeah, and and they're going to take your opinion, what you say, not with a grain of salt, but they're going to take it very seriously. Yeah. So, I think that's where this idea comes in. Like, look, there's there's a bigger responsibility out there um, than just going somewhere, taking a bunch of pictures, taking some video, going, okay, well, thank you, we'll let you know if we see yeah. anything. Goodbye. I think there's way more to it, and I think uh, you know the community there in needs general. To be. Yeah, there, there well, needs to be, and there needs to be a greater awareness of it. Yeah. Um, that if you're going to do this, you know, I really got going as a part of a team when I joined the Ghost Research Society when I lived in the Chicago area. Yeah. I learned how to do scientific investigating from Dale Kazmarek. Dale. Yeah. Very cool guy. Very yeah. Cool guy. And then yeah. when I moved out here to Western Illinois in 1996, I was able to form my own team. Yeah. And so you take it from there and you build from there. I believe in an apprenticeship system in doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. You need to hook up with a group of people who already know something about what they're doing and learn from them. Watching TV, watching YouTube, that will not get it for you. No, no, you have to sit down with people. I think this is something you have to learn from people themselves. So in my team, you know, people who join have to go through a full year of apprenticeship. You know, we start with the small, we start with, with lots of training. We start with, um, you know, cemetery work and build. We build. And if I think at any time someone can't handle this, 
I can never bring this person into a house because they're secretly a thrill seeker. Yeah. They're out of my team. And that's the way you I know, think it I, should be. Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, there, I think there's very few groups that do that, Barb. Honestly, and, I think, go ahead. And I've tried to encourage people to yeah. do that, that there's a reason why apprenticeship was the way that people learned how to do stuff all those years ago. You know, there's, there, you cannot sit down at a computer and learn how to do this. You cannot read a book and really understand how to do this. Yeah. You learn by working with other people. And so joining up with a reputable team, be willing to do the work, mm-hmm. you know, and that includes doing the grunt work of carrying equipment, <laughs> setting it up, all that stuff. Yeah. It is not glamorous. No. It is not glamorous. But I tell you, the night that we helped that old lady cross over from that house in Galesburg where she left and never came back, you want to rush? Yeah. Have that feeling. Have that feeling where you have helped a person to move on in their spiritual evolution and stop haunting and go cross over and join their family. That is the best. That's the best feeling of all. Barb, thank you so much for talking to us tonight. This was so refreshing and enlightening to hear. <laughs> I'm telling you, because I get, I, I, we get frustrated sometimes about this stuff, and it's good to hear um, people like yourself are doing good work out there, this thing. Well, it's thank- great advice yeah. for anybody that might it be is. listening that's oh, brand man. new to this kind of thing and looking to join a group or even start one of their own. Yeah, exactly. This, is a, this should be a blueprint for them. This is a show you should listen to if this is something that, you know, you want to get into well we're at the end of the show <laughs> so you've already listened to it hopefully uh, <laughs> but yeah i mean thank you barb really thank you so much for spending some time with us we really appreciate absolutely it absolutely delighted anytime ghostly talk <laughs> <laughs>